Good morning, CBC. Good to see you all this morning. Thank you for having me with you. If you uh, have a copy of God's Word, if you'd open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, where we've already read from this morning. As we look back uh, on the end of the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we read beginning in verse 29. We'll focus in more on verses 35 through the end of the chapter. And I want us to think this morning on this, this theme of three marks of a follower of Jesus. Three marks of a follower of Jesus. You may have seen that on the screen or in your bulletin um, already. It's funny, when we, when we approach many passages, um, we're told that the, the, the Scripture tells us that the Word of God is living and active, right? Sharper than a two-edged sword. Or Timothy told us that um, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that puts a lot of weight on the Word of God as we open it. There's a lot going on there. Subsequently, as you may have seen, uh, we could open up this passage, and it's not that the Scripture changes, but, but certainly we've changed as, as we approach it from, from one day to the next, uh, or, or Holy Spirit living within us, the Holy Spirit living within us, may may direct us to a different part of the passage or or it may have a different application uh to our lives on that given day so as we read a narrative here of of you've got some disciples of the of john the baptist as we know him and and they transition to to it looks like being disciples of of jesus there are certainly more than three points that we could that we could take from that, and perhaps on on any given day, they might even be three different points that we would w- would walk away with. But as we as we look at at this scripture this morning, I want us to uh, to think about uh, just just three things for today. And then, if you're not in the uh, the youth Sunday school class or the Acts Sunday school class, but you're in the discussion group, perhaps you'll unpack some of the uh, the other points uh, during that time following the service. Um, here, here this morning, this, uh, this quote, you may have heard it before from, from uh, a, a gentleman named Brennan Manning. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Well, that's a stunning statement, right? He didn't leave it at that. He said, Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. All right, good, a good quote there. And, uh, and, and I wanted us to, to think on that quote today to say, what is it about the life of a believer perhaps uh, that, that make, might make someone else, an onlooker, an unbelieving person say, well, I just, I'm not interested in believing what it is they say they believe because they, the way they live is completely contradictory to what they they say they believe. I think that's a, a good thing to think about as we think about these marks of a follower of, of Jesus. Well, why, why do I keep saying a follower of Jesus? Why could I not say three marks of a Christian or three marks of a believer or, or three marks of a religious person? What, what is that? And I've, I've weighed all of those. And, uh, and as I've considered um, asking someone else, are you a Christian, right? Perhaps imagine you're, you're, you're dining out and the, the Spirit of God moves on you that this person who's serving my table seems to be having a bad day. I would love to share with them 
the hope of Jesus? How do I break the ice on that conversation? It might be simple enough to say, are you a Christian, right? Um, it, you, my, my accent may, may give me away, uh, but I, I grew up in the, the southeastern United States primarily, and uh, it's very common there, even more so than, than the Northeast today, to, uh, for people to identify as Christian. And, and, and really, increasingly, that's an identity as um, I'm not something else. I'm not atheist. I'm not agnostic. I'm not Muslim. Uh, I'm not Jewish. I'm Christian. It may not be indicative of any particular uh, lifestyle factors or church attendance or, or church participation. So I became frustrated with asking that question because as I would ask someone, are you a Christian? They'd say, oh, of course I'm a Christian. And, and then I'd say, oh, okay, well, where do, you, where do you worship? Where do you go to church? Oh, well, I don't really do that. <laughs> and, and I'd say, well, that seems contradictory, but nonetheless, let's continue on with the conversation. So I, I began asking myself, what's a better way to ask this? And you could ask them, are they born again? That also comes from the, the gospel of John. But one of the things that, that I've found helpful to say, are you a follower of Jesus? And I'll say because it at least puts us off guard. We don't usually refer to ourselves or to other believers that way. So even those of us who are, who are very often in the body of Christ have to stop and ask, well, what, what does he mean by, am I a follower of Jesus? I think in the text today, we see the, the simplest version of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I've become a fan, much to my children's chagrin lately, of, of Yogi Berra quotes. Many of you will remember the, the, the late great Yankee and, and then baseball commentator. And uh, it's the, the study that I'm, that I'm on is it's remarkable how many, particularly in, in uh, uh, American uh, vernacular, how many quotes that we may use on a regular basis that can be attributed to uh, Yogi Berra. And we, we don't even realize it. And, and perhaps the silliest but uh, most often used uh, that, that, that goes back apparently to, to Mr. Barra is it ain't over until it's over, right? And now we say that, many, many of you probably say that as often as I do, and so we don't think that it's silly. We know what we mean by that. But if it's one of those phrases that if we ever stop and we reflect on, what does it mean to say it ain't over until it's over? Of course it's not over until it's over, right? Like we, we all get that. But, but Yogi was communicating, don't give up, fight to the last minute, stick it, stay, stay in there. Now, I think as his uh, public persona developed over the years and he became known for being kind of a, a silly guy that said silly things, he even would have said that in, in sort of a, uh, I don't even know how to describe it articulately, but sort of a, a duh fashion, right? He, he would say it as, uh, to appear as a, a dullard. Uh, and, and But I don't think he was. I think it was a, an inspired quote when it originated, and I think we all use it correctly, but broken down, it's, it's simple. Well, in a similar way, if I were going to mark the, the first mark of a follower of Jesus, I would say that they follow Jesus. And you say, well, gosh, preacher, we probably could have gotten anybody up there to say, to say that. And I hope so. I hope that you, you could have, have gotten any of you. But let's, let's look at verse, verse 35 again that, that we read earlier, chapter, chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and, be, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Verse 38, 
Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, uh, where, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now there's a lot going on here. We read the verses leading up to verse 35. Uh, as you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll notice that the gospel of John is set up a little differently than the others. Uh, while the others sort of maintain a, uh, a chronological view of the, the earthly life of the God-man, Jesus, uh, John sets out from the very beginning of, of his writing uh, to communicate more of the, the principles of, of what Jesus was doing and why he was doing the things he did in his earthly ministry. Uh, famously, you, you've probably talked about before, John 1, 1 says, in the, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, that seems like a cryptic way to introduce Jesus. We know now, having looked into it more, that by uh, the Word, we're, we're referring to Jesus. So you could just as easily have said, in the beginning was, was Jesus, right? And, and then uh, and, and Jesus was with God and Jesus is God, right? Um, and so there's all these questions about why did he say the word? Well, we, we know after, upon further study that he's communicating to a Jewish audience and to a Greek audience and, and calling Jesus. I, I, don't like, I don't like to chase language things, but we know that the Bible was originally written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, right? And so using this word logos for God, Jesus is the word, communicated something to the Greeks of, of, of him being pre-existing and being uh, a fountain of everything that was, and it, and it communicated uh, to the Hebrew audience the importance of, of God's word wrapped up in this one person that is Jesus. And, and that's kind of how the whole gospel of John goes. It's not just a chronological telling of the ministry of Jesus, but it's a, it's a principled telling of, of the ministry of Jesus. And so we've had this interaction throughout chapter one here of, of who this John the Baptist is. We know a, a cousin uh, an older cousin of, of King Jesus. And, and yet here in, in the verses preceding our verses for today, he said, this one comes before me, right? And, and that's some of the complexity of, of the eternality of, of God and the, and the pre-existence of, of, of Jesus from the, from the beginning to say that here, even though he's younger in his earthly life than John the Baptist, that John the Baptist as a prophet knows that Jesus precedes him. And so then on this subsequent day, after telling his disciples, right, these men would have assigned their lives as they, they came to sort of uh, perhaps training for their own rabbinical uh, leadership. Uh, they would have put themselves at the feet of John the Baptist and said, we're going to follow him and learn from him. And then he's teaching them that, that there's something special about this, this other rabbi, Jesus, and, and we, you need to watch uh, what he's doing. And, and uh, we don't know at this point how much he's told them that, that we think this is the one, the, the, the Messiah, but they're all kind of looking at him, looking for something different. And then on this day, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. We as, as 21st century followers of Jesus, we're, we're, we're jaded in a sense by what we know and by what we don't know. We're, we're jaded by that, that many of us have grown up with the, the full 66 books text of the Bible at our, at our disposal. And sometimes we're, we're also held back by, we just have no idea what it would have been like to be a first century Jew, uh, awaiting the coming Messiah, the rescuer, and, and then 
for, for someone to say, behold, the Lamb of God, and to know about the, the annual sacrifices, the, the Jewish holiday of, of Yom Kippur just, just passed, the, the Day of Atonement, the day when annually sins were atoned for, and, and for John to point to this man and say, here is the Lamb of God. What would that even mean? And then to ask and say, if, if I was in their place, and this was pointed out to me, what would I do about it? And in our text today, we see that, that these men, they got up and they followed after the Lamb of God. I'm not sure they knew why. We have to be careful. Sometimes we read too much into the text. Sometimes we don't read enough into the text. But, but I see them kind of coming up to Jesus and, and he turns to them and, and, and they, maybe they're kind of sheepishly uh, uh, standing there, no pun intended, as they're following the Lamb of God, right? Uh, but but uh, they're standing there, I can imagine kind of a kid kicking some rocks, not sure what to say to uh, the Lamb of God. And, and Jesus turns to them and says, what are you seeking? I think in earnest, they, they could have said, we're not sure. <laughs> we're, we're just here. Well, John said you were important and we're going to check it out. There's all sorts of responses that they, they could have given, but I think they, they made small talk. They, they looked in, in um, verse 38 and, and they said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Can you imagine the, just the normalness of that? Like, uh, some of you this morning, I, I met all of you for the first time in, in person, and some of you said, where, where do you live? And, and, and that's just, that's a very common way to approach people. And so I love that it doesn't, I don't want to read too much into it, but, but you don't see a great spiritual, religious show in these men approaching Jesus. But they approach him and say, hey, what's going on? Where do you stay? And Jesus responded in kind in verse 39, and he said, come and you will see. Okay. This is a little thing. We would blow right through this in the text. But just, just follow along with it. You've already picked up on probably I'm kind of a simpleton, right? <laughs> he said, come and you will see. And what did they do in verse 39? So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was, it was about the 10th the hour, roughly 4 o'clock in the, in the afternoon. The day was getting late. And they just stayed there. But he said, come. And they did. They went with him. Church, for so many of us, that is the very thing that's, that's missing. Uh, it, you know, can, can I break it down to, for, I don't know why we get so perplexed around spiritual things, but, but I can see examples of it in, in the physical as well. I mean, who among us doesn't know that it's a good thing to daily consume some water, right? We should be water drinkers. I mean, you, you could pull up any web browser right now, and there's a shot, it's a pretty good shot, that one of the articles on that page is going to talk about how many glasses of water a day you should drink, and how all of these other beverages that we may prefer to water uh, are not as good for us as just drinking good old-fashioned clean water, which, God bless America, we live in a place where it's readily accessible to us, right? So many places around the world it's not. And yet here we are having to be reminded all the time that it's a good idea to drink that water, right? But that's just a, that's just a really simple example of the, the disconnect off very often between our, our knowledge and our action. We know what's good for us, but we have a really hard time 
doing it, right? Well, many of us that have spent our lives in the church have the same idea. We know that really the most important daily task we could be about, far beyond drinking water even, as crazy as that may sound, is getting up and following after Jesus. And while we know that, so many other things press in on our time and our concern that we miss out on the simplest of truths. So I'd say like so many things, like getting your daily water, eating your vegetables, getting your walk, whatever the thing is that, that is, is for our physical health, it's simple, but it's not easy. There are many things that complicate doing the simple in, in our lives. If the first mark we see is that of, of uh, following Jesus, and, and we can all agree that the, 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 the devil, so to speak, is in the doing or in the details, right? Um, I, had a, I had another quote that, that I want us to consider for, for a couple reasons. Uh, Francis of Assisi, St. Francis, uh, as some say, is often quoted as saying something like this. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Okay, think about that. I want you to think about it, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it all crashing down. <laughs> preach, uh, excuse me, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. I'm going to bring it down in a couple of ways. One, I don't think St. Francis actually said that. <laughs> so I promise you, I, I've read and I've heard it attributed to Francis of Assisi on dozens of, of occasions, right? Or at least a dozen. Um, but as I read it, the people who know better than me say, we can't actually find that in his writings anywhere. Maybe some principles where he's communicating to some priests, hey, preach the word of God and make sure that your life, you know, kind of matches up to what you're preaching or something like that. So the, the general idea may be there. So there's the, there's the one part I'm going to bring down. I don't think St. Francis actually said that. The other part is that's really a bogus statement. It's a non-starter. I'm not knocking the heart of it, right? Our actions should match our words. Our words should match our actions. That's a, that's a good principle. But to, to bring the gospel into a dichotomy of, of either you live it or you preach it is one of the most non-gospel concepts ever. Uh, I, I mean, from this very book, as I already alluded to, the Gospel of John, we're told in the beginning was the Word. You, just John using that is, is some notion that Jesus himself is to be communicated. Jesus himself is communication and, and is the Word. We're told in, in Romans chapter 10, Paul goes to this idea of how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear without someone preaching, saying the words, speaking the good news of Jesus. Even as these men in, in our text today went and followed after this, this new strange rabbi, Jesus, um, they didn't just silently follow him and hope to pick up on what he was doing, but they asked questions and communication and speaking was necessary. So if the first mark of a follower of Jesus is simply that they follow Jesus, then the second is that they tell others about Jesus. We have to tell others about Jesus if we are who we say we are. Verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus 
was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. We pause right there. It is that simple. I can give you, uh, in, in, in 20 minutes, I could give you three or four really reasonable gospel presentations. How to go share the good news with your neighbor. And, and the reason I think it would be good to give you three or four is, is some of them aren't going to click as well with us as with others. And, and one of them may just resonate more. And you say, you know what, I can, I can communicate that. But then we get all bogged down with, like I was talking about, with the restaurant server, is how do I even get this conversation started down the, down the right path? And, and sometimes we get bogged down with, well, my life doesn't always match up to what it is I'm trying to communicate, and, and that holds us back. Or, or we get afraid of, what if they ask something that I don't understand? Or well, what is it exactly that I'm trying to tell them? What does it even mean to, to follow Jesus that I'm, that I'm calling them to do? And I forget who this is attributed to, but, but someone famously said that, that, that we are to go as one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. And so on any given day with that humble spirit, I can approach my neighbor, beginning with my family, my children, my wife, my, my parents, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, and, and, and the rest of my neighbors in my community, the people that I work with, with this idea of, hey, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that I'm special, but I'm going to tell you this one I found out about, this Jesus is special. And, and it, he changes everything. And I desperately would love for you to, to check that out. In, in, in today's text, we see Andrew went to Simon, his brother, and said, we have found Messiah. Andrew tells Peter, uh, I, I give away the next part, verse 42. He brought him, uh, to Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I ask you to pause again and think, how many of you outside of this text and having just read this, if I said, start naming apostles, start naming disciples that followed after Jesus, how many of you would come up with Andrew? Many of you are really good Bible students and you studied and you memorized and you would come up with Andrew, but many of us would not come up with Andrew. But if I said, how many of you could come up with one of Jesus' disciples was Peter? The hands just fly up in the room. And, and we all know Peter as, as the one who got in Jesus' face and said, no, I'm not going to let you go to your death. And Jesus had to look at him, his beloved follower, and say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> we know that, that Peter said he would never let Jesus be, be tried and, and, and crucified. And, and Jesus said, not only are you going to let me, but you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. And Jesus' prophecy was true. And Peter denied him those three times. Before he could do that, though, the same bodacious Peter jumped out with a sword when they came to arrest Jesus and cut off the ear of the one that was approaching to arrest him, which, which brings another miracle of Jesus where Jesus picks, his, picks up the ear and, and reaffixes it <laughs> to the man that lost it. But we know Peter. We know his audacity. Many of us can relate to Peter uh, maybe we're not as, as uh, loud or bold, but, but we can relate to making mistakes big <laughs> like Peter did. We know Peter. 
I love this principle, though, that, that in theory, just basically looking at this, we don't have the apostle Peter, if not for the faithfulness of his brother Andrew to tell him about Jesus. Similar to my Andrew Peter question, I ask you this. Who knows who Mordecai Ham is? Mordecai Ham. Not many. So one hand. All right? What if I said, I'll give you a hint. If I said evangelist Mordecai Ham. Does that help anybody? Okay, back off. I'll give you, I'll give you an easy one. Who knows the name Billy Graham? Okay? Yeah, many hands for that one immediately. And, and many didn't raise their hand just because we don't do that in church. But, but uh, Billy Graham, the, the great 20th century evangelist, God used the ministry of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association to, re, to reach thousands of people with the good news of Jesus. In, in 1997, I sat in an arena in San Antonio, Texas, and, and saw Dr. Graham speak. And, and at, the, at the end, um, thousands of people went forward to, to make a decision to follow Christ. I remember in that moment, I'm a young man, and, and, and let's say 10,000 people moved forward in that arena that day. And I thought, okay, let's assume that half of them are hoping to meet Dr. Graham. <laughs> They're not really making a, a, a decision. Let's assume another half of, the ha of half is, uh, is just going to accompany a friend. And, and let's throw 500 more in that just saw a crowd moving and thought it was time to leave. You know, we have no idea what's down there. Still on that day, 2,000 people were compelled to move to the front of that arena and, 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 and hear more about what it meant to follow Christ. And that happened in arena after arena, in country after country around the world under the ministry of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association headed up by Dr. Billy Graham. We, we know his name. Thank God. Years past his death now, his, his legacy holds as, as having been a, a, a man of God. Very few, if any of us, know that when he was a young man at the church in North Carolina, an evangelist named Mordecai Ham visited and preached the gospel of Jesus. And on that day, the Spirit of God called a young Billy Graham to follow him and later to preach and later to be an evangelist and later to be a part of so many thousands around the world coming to faith in Jesus. So while we thank God for Billy Graham, many of us have no idea to thank God for Mordecai Ham in the same way that we know Peter, but very often we don't know much about Andrew. And that is my encouragement to you. We may never be known for being a great evangelist, but, but we can be known to one person for offering them hope that only can be found in King Jesus. And, and who knows? They may not go on to be Billy Graham, but, but whatever they go on to, their, their, their spiritual journey will be marked by your willingness, your obedience to share with them the good news of Jesus. Christians, followers of Jesus, follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus tell others about Jesus. And then as we read the, the end of today's text, verse 47 through, through 51, I'm sorry, I skipped over. I got a little long-winded there. 
we, we, we see the faithfulness of Philip as well to, to tell Nathaniel. And uh, no, I've, I've got I've to read that. Pick up in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Stop right there. I, I'm not sure all of the bad reputation that Nazareth may have had at that time or not, but, but really fun little quip there. And I love it when the scripture gives us an insight to sort of uh, just comfortable barbing, okay? And, and hear me, I know that Ephesians says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building up. I'm not sure it was help, helpful to pick on Nazareth the, the way he, he does here. But, but as you get later in the text too, in the resurrection narrative, as John records it, you've got John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he's sure to remind us, right? Which I get a kick out of that every time. He also reminds us how he and Peter had a foot race to the tomb and how he got there first. But then Peter blasted into the tomb right around him when they got there. And so we get more insight into the character of Peter. And, and I'm not sure what John is telling us, except that he's, he's boasting just like I would if I beat my brother, you know, my friend in a foot race uh, uh, to the tomb. And, and I can appreciate him uh, bringing it down to, to my level that way, right? And, and, and similarly, I'm not sure what's going on here. There's, there's some talk that, um, you know, Jesus of Nazareth there's always this tension in the life of Jesus because many who are looking for Messiah uh, have some reason to be looking for him from Nazareth, but there's also scriptural re uh, reason to be looking for him from Bethlehem, and that even confuses some of the religious leaders. When they know he's from Nazareth, they don't realize that he was born in Bethlehem in the house of David. We have 2,000 years of hindsight in the whole canon of scripture to, to clear that up for us. People at the time didn't know that, so that's some of, of what's going on here. And he said, what, can we, what, what good can come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, what, the same thing Jesus said to him, right? Come and see, in the end of verse 46. In verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. That seems very complimentary, right? And, and, and I, love, I love the response. Nathanael answered him, um, um, I'm sorry, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's probably not funny. I, I have a weird sense of humor. But if I walked in and you said, oh, here's Mr. Wilson, a great man within whom there's no deceit. And I said, oh, how do you know me? <laughs> that seems like, uh, you know, I, I, it would be at least culturally more appropriate for me to, oh, you're too kind or, you know, something like that. Not just to own uh, the, these compliments that you, that you just gave me. Um, but, but God bless Nathaniel. He, he just owned them and said, how do you know me? Uh, Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, there's some theological debate over, over what this means. At the very simplest, it's Jesus prophesying. He wasn't there, but he knows what Nathaniel was doing, okay? There's some thought that it goes further that this would have been, um, this would have been sort of a euphemism for a, a good student, that being under the fig tree meant that you were, you were under knowledge, you were, you were about learning. I, I don't know that that's consequential to, to what happens here. The, the most important part is that Jesus saw something that he couldn't physically possibly have, have saw. Nathaniel answered him in, in verse 49. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Can I tell you, folks, 
evangelism is not always going to go like that. <laughs> but praise God, sometimes um, a man walks into my office and sits down and says, I know that I'm a broken sinner and that the only hope for me is Jesus. <laughs> and I just say, well, hallelujah. <laughs> Finally, uh, an easy one, a softball, if you, if you will. And, and sometimes it does go that way. Can I tell you that that's the encouragement to keep telling people about Jesus, keep telling people about Jesus, because there are people out there waiting to hear the good news. And, and so we're faithful to that. We follow Jesus. We tell others about Jesus. But what we're about to get to here in the end of the text is another mark of a follower of Christ that I don't think we give enough emphasis to is that we will see eternal life. You hear me on that, church? Followers of Jesus will see eternal life. Verse 50, Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the, the Son of Man. There's a reference there, a clear reference to Jacob's dream, Jacob's ladder, we call it of the angels ascending and, and descending. And uh, there's, a, there's a clear, it, it, I, don't, I won't say it's a clear picture, but it's a picture of things bigger than us, things eternal, things heavenly. You see, eternal life is more than just the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I think, I think some of us treat it as uh, we're, we're laboring through this life and, and thank God uh, there, there's something at the end, right? And, and man, so many people who don't even have the hope of Jesus have some hope in some afterlife that there's something. But, but we pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a day coming when that prayer will be made complete. That the, the new heaven and the new earth will descend Everything will be made new. Unlike Noah's flood that wiped everything from the planet and started that way, this time God's crafting everything new. And, and, and it's going to be some reflection of Genesis 1 and 2 and, and, and Revelation 21 come together that the new heaven and the new earth that will be there without sin, but this time without the ability to sin. And it, at its root, everything that makes it difficult to, to share the gospel with that server at the restaurant or to share the gospel with your kids because they know all of your iniquities, right? The, everything that makes it difficult comes down to the battle we have with sin in this life. But can I tell you what eternal life does for the believer? It, it reduces the, the frequency of everything. Now, I'm not, I'm not a radio guy. I'm not a technical guy. I don't even know for sure what this means. So, so go there with me, right? If, if we imagine our life has highs and lows, and it sort of follows that uh, cardio test of, of up and down, and, and man, championships and births of children and wedding days are, are among some of the highest of highs. And then finding out about illness and funerals and losing jobs are some of the lowest of lows. And they're all part of the human experience. And, and as Christians, we're not, um, we don't miss out on that. We're, we're all part of that. But being in Christ and the hope of eternal life compresses that frequency. 
On one hand, that may seem like a downer, but I'm here to tell you that championship doesn't mean as much if you're in Christ because you know there's still better things coming in the eternal kingdom. But glory be to God, that lowest of low days doesn't mean as much in light of eternity with Christ because you know that better days are coming in King Jesus. So on the best day, we know it doesn't compare to what Jesus has for us. But similarly, on the worst day, we know that there's better days ahead. The hope of eternal life is the driving force of the follower of Jesus. We're told in, in Matthew to, to store up our, our treasures in, in heaven. Matthew, oh, I went the wrong way. You think I know. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We could talk about, uh, there's a whole other sermon on that, those verses. But, but hear me, sometimes we think where our heart is, that's where our treasure goes, right? We think, well, I'm, I'm passionate about that. So that's where my time, talent, energy goes. But can I tell you, the scriptures say it's exactly the opposite. The things we dedicate our treasure to, our heart will follow. If our treasure is in things of this life, then that's where our heart will go. But if our treasure is in the eternal kingdom of King Jesus and following him and bringing as many people with us to follow him as we can possibly muster, then that is where our heart will go. So maybe a simpleton, but would you join me on this simple but not easy journey of following Jesus, being marked by our followership, being marked by telling others about him, and being marked by our hope eternal. Let's pray together.